0: All right, get your Bibles out. We're going to get into the last uh, last of the series we've been talking here about abandoned by God, the tragic result of national rebellion. And I want to start off just by making, for some of our guests that are here and some maybe that have missed the better part of the series, let me just make some quick clarifications. How um, many of you know, one thing that we have not been preaching is that God ever abandons uh, his people, those that, that are his own, Amen. In fact, the Bible says just the opposite. God says he'll never leave you or he'll never forsake you. Um, but we're talking about that covenant relationship that we have with Christ. But we've been preaching not about individuals, but we've been preaching about na- nations. And we made the comment that God doesn't judge nations in eternity. He must judge them now. Now. Which is why all through the Bible, that's why I'm encouraging you. I'm reading through, I'm reading through basically Isaiah is an entire book of the Bible that does nothing but have God's pronounced prophetic pronouncement of judgment on wicked nations. So, what I don't want you to fall into the camp of is to think that somehow God's changed, God doesn't do these things anymore, this is not an important message, God doesn't act this way, because I'm telling you, you need to read your Bible. The entire context of everything that's happening in the world today is on the backdrop of the coming judgment and God's mission to save people and to save nations and to disciple nations. That's the Great Commission. So it's meaningless apart from the holiness of God and the coming wrath of God. And and so we need to get comfortable with that as much as one could possibly get comfortable with this topic. Let me also remind you that the abandonment that we're talking about is not an abandonment to hell, but an abandonment where God removes his presence from among us. And have have any of you in this room ever not been living for God and then you wondered why you didn't sense his nearness or hear his voice. You don't have to raise your hand, but I will raise it for you. Because that's the way it operates. In fact, remember remember a man after God's own heart, David, cried out to the Lord, "Don't take your holy spirit from me." In other words, he was begging God to please restore the relationship. Why was the relationship suffering? Because of sin. And so we can't have this, this American happy clappy cheap grace. God is love only understanding that suggests that God doesn't really care or he's indifferent about our sin. Remember our sin killed his son. How do you, how do you suggest that God doesn't care about sin when it killed his son? And I, let me just tell you this too. It'll kill you if you continue to mess with it. You know, this is the deception and I want to warn you. We know God is patient and kind. In fact, I would say this. He's stunningly patient and kind. His patience and kindness overwhelms us when we really get in touch with it. We wouldn't, if, thank God that we're not God. That's all I got to say. Any of you that have ever raised children and you've uh, you had to do the count to 10 thing, imagine God doing the count to 10 thing with all of us. I just read through the Old Testament with Israel, and I'm like, oh, God, that one right there, that crossed the line. But what is, what's he doing? He, he's stunningly patient. He's not willing that anybody in this room would ever miss him or miss his plan for your life. I want you to hear this. God is wooing every one of us. He loves you. He is so kind. He is so patient. But hear my heart. Often we continue to experience God's favor and his blessing even when we're living in stubborn sin or rebellion. And here's the problem. We mistakenly interpret our ongoing prosperity as a sign of his endorsement or his indifference to our sin. Because God is so kind, here's what I want you to understand. God doesn't withhold his affection from us like we do. God continues to reach out in his affection. And check this out. In fact, he continues to bless even when we know our hearts are not right. Have you ever noticed, and I'll I'll just bring it right home, there are pastors, there are men of God who stand in pulpits every day in America, some of them who in their secret life are compromised with God, and they know it. Some of them may be struggling with pornography. Some of them may be unfaithful to their wives. Whatever the situation is, but they're standing in the pulpit. And here's the here's the thing that can be deceptive. God is still God. God will continue to bless the preaching of his word. And he'll continue to bless anybody that comes to him in faith and repentance. God will bless and he'll even work through a a person who is not living a holy life. Now, here's the tricky part of that, is the pastor who just preached that sermon and just experienced something of the presence of God and noticed that the congregation was full, people are coming, excitement in the air. Boy, wasn't the worship team great and somebody's getting healed and the deception is, God really doesn't care about what's going on in my private life because I'm still seeing what looks like blessing. That's a deception. The blessing that you're experiencing is because God is trying to woo you back to himself with his goodness, and the fact that you would continue to presume on his grace and live in a way that displeases him is a sign that your heart is so far from his goodness and that you are not listening or responding to his kindness. Now, lest you think I'm making this up, get your Bibles out and look in Romans chapter 2, beginning with verse 4 with me. Remember that the kindness of God is God making one final appeal through a totally undeserved act of blessing in our lives. His goal is for that act of blessing to bring us to himself. Look at what Romans chapter 2 verses 4 through 6 says. It says, don't you see how wonderfully kind, how wonderfully tolerant, and how wonderfully patient God is with you? Can you say amen? I say amen. Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Why is God kind? To turn you from your sin. But look at verse 5. But because you're stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Look at verse 6, he will judge everyone according to what they have done. Not according to what you profess. I mean, you know there's a lot of people that profess to love Jesus. A lot of people that profess to be living for God. God doesn't care what you say as much as he cares how you live. Because on the day of judgment, God is not going to be judging you on the basis of what you said you believe, but he's going to be judging you on the basis of how you've lived. Now, here's the difference. For people that that continue to push God away, and remember we said last week, anybody that claims to be an atheist is a liar because God calls you a liar, not me. The Bible says he has made it abundantly clear that he's there, but that we suppress the truth in wickedness. So here's what happens. God loves. God's merciful. God reaches out. God is kind. God is good. God is patient. God is long-suffering. God is all these things. And we continue to push him away. And God says this, your ongoing rebellion is building a defense account on your behalf that will be presented to try you on the great day. In other words, how I many you know God is a righteous judge? And I saw a funny meme on Facebook. You know, you see all these people say, who are you to judge me? Only God can judge me. That should scare the daylights out of you. Only God can judge me. Do you know what you just said? He is going to judge you. He knows everything about you, even the secret hidden thoughts. And you're more comfortable with God judging you than your neighbor. You got it all messed up. See, that's the scary thing, is God is true and holy and he's just. The good news is we can run into an ark of salvation. His name is Jesus. Jesus paid, as Pastor Dick shared, the wonderful truth, Jesus paid it all. He paid the price of all my sin, past, present, and future, and I can hide in Christ Jesus. I don't have to pay for my sin, but listen, every sin has a price tag, and somebody is going to pay the price. Either it's going to be you, or it's going to be Christ. That's the decision. It's as simple as that. And that's the gospel. In his book, America's Last Call, the late David Wilkerson, who I really believe was a prophetic voice to our nation, he made this amazing point. He pointed out the fact that in judgment, when God's dealing with nations that are far from him, in judgment, what God often does is he sends prosperity as his last means of awakening his people, awakening a nation to turn back to him or as his final act of judgment. In other words, prosperity often precedes the hand of God judging a nation. Let me give you some examples of this. What preceded the judgment of the flood during Noah's time? It was prosperity. What preceded the judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah? That was an incredibly prosperous city at the time. What preceded the final judgment on Israel that Amos, the prophet, prophesied about? It was prosperity on the people. What preceded the judgment on Judah when it was taken into captivity by Babylon? It was prosperity, great prosperity. What preceded the seven years of judgment on the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar? Prosperity. And let me just say this, I'm not making a political endorsement by any stretch here. Especially during this election cycle, I've been incredibly silent. I'm just praying and saying, God, what's happening to our nation? But let me just say this. Every election cycle, politicians will come out and they'll say, vote for me and I'm going to turn America around. I'm going to make America great. I'm going to give you a little warning here. If we see an election cycle and a result that happens and there's some changes made and America as a nation economically has a bump or as a nation we we seem to start going the right direction on certain trends... Let me just tell you, it may be we are being set up for the paddle. Because how many of you know we're still not dealing with the cancer that is eating the soul of our nation? And we think that if we just get the right person and they're pulling the right levers and we get the economy going again and create some jobs and all this kind of stuff, that God's blessings on our nation. I'm just telling you, do not be surprised if we see a momentary upswing in prosperity before we see judgment hit this nation that will cause everybody to stop in their tracks. I'm just warning you. Because, is this, is, Pastor, did you have an angelic visitation? No. We read the Bible and you look at what's happening in our nation and you look at the signs of God's judgment and what he said he would do and why. And I'm just telling you, we are ripe for the judgment of God. In fact, Steve Ferrar, in a wonderful book that he wrote, made this comment about national prosperity. Listen, he said, prosperity is infectious. Prosperity lulls us into a moral and spiritual stupor. Prosperity says you can make it on your own. Prosperity says life will always be this way. Isn't it great? Prosperity says you are responsible for your wealth. You made your wealth. Prosperity says you are secure. You don't have to worry. You're secure. You're financially set for the future. You don't have to worry about what's going to come in the economy because you're financially set. In fact, I have it so good, but more would even be better. See, prosperity always lulls us into wanting the next best bigger thing. Prosperity says you have what it takes to get through any problem. And prosperity says you don't need God. In fact, you're your own God. Prosperity dulls our discernment. It puffs our hearts up with pride. And it isolates us from intimacy with God, which is what God is after. And I want you to see that Jesus warned us that when right before he came, it would be prosperity. People would be continuing on with business as usual. Luke chapter seventeen verse twenty six. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the time of the second coming of the Son of Man. The people were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were given in marriage. But I like what the Amplified Version inserts there: they were indifferent to God until the day that Noah went into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Um, we had a wonderful wedding here that we celebrated this week, and uh, and it wasn't God's not condemning weddings and celebrations. I mean, you know, God's the biggest partier that there is. Heaven's going to be an eternal celebration of the greatness and goodness of God. God's not against eating, drinking, celebrating, giving, and marriage. But what God's against is a national indifference to him being the center of the party. See, the wedding we had here was so beautiful because Jesus was right in the center of it. It was a covenant. We worshiped the Lord. We invited his presence. His word was our standard Jesus was right here in the celebration. What Jesus isn't into is, is celebrations of marriage where he's no longer welcome or public events of any sort where he's no longer welcome. And Jesus said right before he, his final coming, there's going to be a time in this nation when people are going to be going on with business as usual and all of a sudden, boom, it's a sudden thing. How many of you, you cannot plan for a sudden thing other than to make sure that you're living in right relationship with God right now? I want you to see that God's judgment follows nations, again, who are walking in open rebellion, and many times the prosperity is the final straw, so don't be dull and undiscerning about these things. Now, let me mention one other thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, this is all just laying a foundation here. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11. There are some people who say, well, pastor, the examples that you give, they're all old covenant, and God doesn't act that way any longer, and you know, and we shouldn't be looking at how God judged nations under the Old, old Testament. Really? Look at 1 Corinthians 10. These things happened to them, meaning he's giving, going back and giving Old Testament examples of how God dealt with His people and how God dealt with ungodly nations. These things happened to them as an example and warning to who? Us. They were written for whose instruction? Ours. To admonish and equip us. Because here's why: God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not change. I mean, you know, God still is holy. God still is righteous. God still is just. Why would God show us how he dealt with his people, Israel, and somehow think that he's not going to hold us accountable for the similar things? It's a deception. I'm just telling you, don't fall into the deception of this loosey-goosey American culture that preaches grace that only has half the coin. Uh, It is a gross deception. I'm telling you, listen to the word of the Lord. And I want to drive home something this morning, that this morning—that your righteous life matters. That's the message this morning. Your righteous life, my life, righteous life, matters to God, and it matters to our culture, matters to our family, it matters to our nation. Open up your Bibles to Second Peter chapter two, and I'm going to start reading in verse four. Second Peter chapter two, verse four. God gives us in this section four—I'm sorry, three—witnesses that He wants us to look at, and I want to pull some principles out quickly in the time that we have left. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. For God did not spare even the angels who sinned. He threw them into hell, into gloomy pits of darkness, where they are being held until the day of judgment. And God did not spare the ancient world except for Noah and the seven others in his family. Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. So God protected Noah when he destroyed the world of ungodly people with a vast flood. Later, God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he turned them into heaps of ashes. He made them an example, there's that word again, an example of what will happen to ungodly people. But God also rescued Lot out of Sodom because he was a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. Yes, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented in his soul by the wickedness that he saw and heard day after day. So you see, the Lord knows how to rescue godly people from their trials, even while keeping the wicked under punishment until the day of the final judgment. He is especially hard on those who follow their own twisted sexual desire and who despise authority. Let me pull out seven principles here I want to leave you with as we wrap up this series. And just to give you a foretaste of where we're going next week, I've laid a foundation for why this nation is ripe for judgment. I'm not inviting that. I pray that God has mercy. I pray that we never see it. I pray for great awakening and revival in America. Anybody with me? That's what I'm after. But this message is not a gloom and doom message. It's a message of hope. And I want to show you beginning next Sunday as we talk about uh, Daniel and we talk about how to live a life of courage how to live a life of conviction, and how to live a life of commitment in a hostile culture. All right? So the, the solution to, to what the problem I'm presenting today is coming beginning next Sunday. You won't want to miss that. All right, here's some principles. I want you to notice, first of all, point number one, there is only justice for fallen angels, no redemption. This should stun us because here's what I want you to understand. God, we we live in a culture that's very much an entitlement culture and a victim culture. Are you with me? Everybody feels like the problem's not mine and somebody owes me something. Well, let me give you the gospel straight and simple. The problem is you and God owes you nothing. How, How politically incorrect can I get? The problem is you and me and God owes us nothing. Pastor... God doesn't provide a second chance for fallen angels? No. Isn't that unfair? No. What did the fallen angels get? Justice. Justice. Let me give you a secret. What do you deserve this morning? Justice. If God didn't save a one of us, we're guilty. Has anybody in this room perfectly loved Jesus with all your heart, all your life, and thought, word, and deed? Good, we don't have any lying spirits here this morning. That's wonderful. The fact is, you cannot even join the club until you recognize that you're the problem and you're guilty. And God owes you nothing. That's the backdrop for mercy. And grace. Isn't grace wonderful? Heck yeah, it's wonderful, especially when I know I don't deserve it. Why am I saved here this morning? I don't deserve it. I deserve and you deserve justice woo Thank God for Jesus. Point number two. If that didn't encourage you, this next one will. The righteous often feel the effects of God's judgment on a nation. Let me just warn you. There are people that want to live in this little, you know, impervious little bubble that's just, I'm a Christian and everything's always going to be perfectly great. Well, what you're basically saying is, I want to feel good and I want everything to go smooth the rest of my life because I love Jesus. You're living a fairy tale. The gospel is not primarily about your comfort, it's about your holiness. <laughs> I, this is a bad message. So I apologize. This, this message is so politically incorrect, I should just quit right now. When God's judgment is on a nation, everyone suffers. Now, I'm not saying you're going to be alone. But the Bible says this, Lot was a righteous man who was tormented every day by the wickedness that he saw and heard all around him. Let me just tell you how this tormenting works. I sent my kids off to school one day, and one of my elementary school children came home and explained to me that one of their friends at school had on their cell phone pornography. Instantly, my spirit was tormented because as a righteous father trying to raise up godly children, I knew that my child's spirit had been violated by something perverse and wicked. They weren't looking for that. I didn't send them off to that. But guess what? This ain't heaven. We live in a fallen, dark perverted world where children are wounded and exploited, people are wounded and exploited, women are exploited, and now we're talking about giving rights to people who don't know what their gender is to show up in the opposite sex's bathroom. That torments my spirit. I can watch the news at night. And get tormented. I look at the lies and, and I claim the fifth. And how even in our courts of justice, nobody tells the truth anymore. My spirit's agitated. When you live in this world, you're going to face wickedness and sinfulness and selfishness. And it should torment you and bother you. Now, that's not happening because of righteous people. That's happening because of wicked people. But if you think you're going to cruise through life and you're not going to be touched by that, you're living in a fairy tale. We suffer and we grieve like Lot because of what we have to see going on around us. We suffer from the challenges of raising godly kids in a perverse culture. It's a lot of hard work, isn't it? We suffer trying to remain faithful in our marriages when we live in a culture that's full of lust and perversion. And even when we're not looking for it, it's pursuing us. We suffer because we're constantly swimming against the current of wickedness. I don't know about you, but there are some days I would just like to wake up and know that everything was going Jesus' direction, that everybody was celebrating righteousness, and for one day during my life, I didn't have to stand up and walk against the grain once again you know what? It gets tiring sometimes. That's why I'll just be honest with you. Thank God for you. Thank God for the body of Christ. Thank God for one place, one time during the week when I can come and I'm normal and I'm celebrating what is good. And thank God for people around you that will say, keep it up, keep standing true. Hey, it doesn't matter if everybody's kids are doing that. Go against the grain. This is the way we're living. We're swimming upstream. In fact, I'll tell you, if you're not you're not living the gospel right, if you're not going upstream, Reminded me of the joke I heard. This guy calls his wife, honey, honey, watch it. There's a bunch of cars. I just saw the news. There's a car driving the opposite direction on the highway. Please be careful. I just saw it live on the news right now. Wife says back to her husband, I got bad news for you. It's not one car. There's hundreds of cars. (laughs) Some of you catch it off the back wall, all right? It's not easy when every day you realize that the entire system has been rigged against righteousness. Cheaters sometimes get ahead. People that cut the corner sometimes momentarily get the blessing. It stinks to have to be righteous. It stinks to have to always stand for truth. It stinks to run a business based on integrity when everybody else seems to be prospering on dishonesty and lying. It's easy to suffer from exhaustion and weariness and utter loneliness and even discouragement. There are some Sundays when I come into this place and I have to fight off a spirit of discouragement, not because of you, because that's what I was fighting off all week and it wanted to go to church with me. And I say, get out of here. I am not going to get under this thing. I'm going to walk above this thing and I'm going to walk differently and I'm going to walk in the power and grace of God and I'm going to be a righteous man in my generation. Point number three, God's merciful warnings often go unheeded. In his mercy and kindness, God warns people of his judgment that's coming. He begs us to stop sinning. He begs us to put away our idols. He woos us back to himself. The Bible says Noah warned the world of God's righteous judgment. He was God was saying, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. He's not willing that any would perish. Josiah, uh, his son Jehoiakim uh, was prophesied to by, by Jeremiah. And this is what Jeremiah said to Jehoiakim. He said, I warned you when you were prosperous. I warned you when you were at the top of your game. But you replied, and listen to this, don't bother me. Can you imagine saying to the Lord, don't bother me. I don't want to be bothered with your laws. I don't want to be bothered with your rulership in my life. Don't bother me. And then judgment came on that king and on that nation. The Bible says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come mocking the truth and following their own desires. Have any of you ever been mocked for taking a stand for righteousness? Anybody, you know, my mocking started when I was just a kid, when I stood for the Lord in public school. And I was called, you know, preacher boy or whatever. The the names, you know, I began to wear that as a sign of honor. But the names came early and often at a young age. Anybody ever mock you for your beliefs? Anybody ever make fun of you? You Bible-carrying... Backwoods, narrow-minded, bigoted moron. You ever have that said over you? I just said it over you. Get used to it, all right? If you live the gospel correctly, you'll have all these kind of wonderful compliments spoken at you. But mockers are going to be around. And I just want to say this, there's even mockers in the church. There's people that don't like this message, mock this message. Listen to me. This is Second Chronicles 30. I can't imagine I'm reading through the Old Testament and I'm reading everything I'm talking about all through the Bible. This is when, under Hezekiah, he said, we we need to turn back to God as a nation. He called everybody back to worship. He called everybody back to repent. And and people ran from village to village. And, hey, come, we're going to gather. Come, let's turn our hearts back to the Lord. God says he'll forgive us. God says he'll put his blessing on us. Come, come, come. I'm reading you the Bible right here. But most of the people just laughed at the runners and made fun of them. Don't let mockers jade you. Let mockers inspire the love of God to come out even more visibly and stand assured in your convictions that what a man sows, he will absolutely reap, and that God will not be mocked. That's the message of the hour. Point number four, I'm hitting this quick. I've only got 33 points. I'm kidding you. All right. Point number four, obedience to God often requires us to stand alone. Faithfulness causes you to be lonely. Let me just say this. I'm talking to some young people in here. When God started getting a hold of my heart, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was 16, and God completely messed me up. I went from a nice little Christian kid to being a Holy Ghost-filled person, and I had a new sense of holiness in my life, and I started making some changes that messed up my friendships and messed up the status quo and messed up my dating life. And there were times when I was in my room on Friday nights after playing in a football game by myself, kneeling next to my bed with worship music on, incredibly lonely. But God was preparing me for something. And God prepares people in loneliness. God prepares leaders by themselves. God breaks things off of you. God asks you this question, do you want me more than your friends? Do you want me more than success? Do you want me more than anything? And sometimes God literally sets you alone and you feel like, where is God? Because he's trying to cut through everything that's held you back, everything that's been an idol for you. And he wants to know at the end of the day, do you love me and do you want me more than anything? And if you can pass that test, I'm telling you, God has a great destiny for you. Imagine what Noah went through. The Bible says, for among all the people of the earth, God says, I can see you alone are righteous. All the people that were living in the earth, the Bible says all they thought about Was evil? But God looked out and he said, look at that man right there. Listen, This gets me excited. Do you know the Lord is still looking from the heavens? What's he looking for? He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking for people that are going against the grain. He's looking for people that will stand for righteousness in the face of the wave of, of perversion and darkness. God is still looking. Has he found you? Has he found you? I want to be found by God in my generation. Noah wasn't like everyone else. He stood for righteousness in the midst of a culture that was saturated in evil. He stood alone. But he wasn't alone because that takes us to the next point. Noah lived in close fellowship with God who was the source of his strength. Look at verses verses 8 and 9 in chapter 6. Genesis 6, 8 and 9. Noah was a righteous man the only blameless person living on the earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. How many of you have figured out all the things we go through in life, God has one big purpose behind the good, the bad, the indifferent. It's to bring us to himself. It's to father us. It's to have a relationship with him, a personal relationship with him. I'm just telling you this. It's not enough to believe truths in the Bible that are not connected to a passionate relationship in the heart because people will always cave in on what they think they believe when it's not attached to genuine passion and affection for Jesus. In other words, we don't fall in love with Bible verses. We fall in love with the verses that point us to Jesus. We have a relationship with Jesus. And when you love Jesus, listen, when you love Jesus and you see a culture that is spitting in his face, something inside of you stands up and says, God forbid, that's going to happen on my watch. Courage rises in you. Conviction rises in you. I'll share this on an earthly level. I remember when somebody was calling my dad, you know, just off, off the cuff. Hey, you he referred to my dad as your old man. Hey, what's your old man? Think about whatever. And I said, please don't call my dad an old man. That's my father. Respect my father. Well, he just kept going. I almost got in a fist fight right in the school cafeteria there because he was insulting my father's reputation. You know, let me just tell you this. The same thing goes off inside of me when I see some idiot standing on the American flag and burning it. I'm just telling you. It's not on the same level of Jesus, hear me. But what it says is, there are some things in life that are worth fighting for. There are some things in life that are worth standing up against the grain and doing something about it and saying, get off of there. What are you doing? You don't talk that way. What are you doing? Or do we just put our tail between our legs and walk on like some things in life aren't worth fighting for? You'll never fight for anything that you don't love with a passionate heart. I'll tell you what, somebody comes into my house and tries messing or harming my wife. I don't care how big they are. You're going to see a chihuahua kind of fight come out of come out of this guy. Well, we're supposed to be Christian. Yeah, after I beat the snot out of that guy, I'll witness to him. That was not in the notes, but I believe it. And I'm happy to. I just want you to know that. Noah, number six, I only got two points. Noah, number six, honored God. And God honored Noah. You know, the Bible says this over and over again. Just so you know, this sermon title is biblical. Abandoned by God. I could give you 25 verses that say this. God speaking. Because you abandoned me, I have abandoned you. That's not one verse. That's at least 25 verses, at least, maybe more, I'm guessing. Here's another good verse in the Bible. Because you have honored me, I will honor you. Let me just make something straight and clear here. We get to heaven by undeserved, unmerited grace and favor of God. Amen? You're not going to earn it. You're not going to work for it. But let me tell you something else. Living a righteous life in response to what Christ has done does earn you something. It earns you confidence with God. It earns you favor from God. It, it, it earns you the glory of God and the presence of God and the backing of God. So don't tell me that this, this cheap great grace message today, that it, the law doesn't matter and all, you can live however you want to because Jesus already paid the price for your sin. You know what you're going to be? A pathetic, wimpy Christian with no anointing or nothing on your life and you might get into heaven by the skin of your teeth, by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus. You've trampled all your life. That's what you're going to get. That's the inheritance that you want. I want to live a righteous life before God. I want to stand for things that matter. I want my life to leave an impact. I want to so honor God in every dimension of my life that I know when I have to stand up for something, God is backing me. Not because I hope he's backing me, because I know he's backing me, because he knows me. I know him. I honor him. I just tell you, when when you come to a financial challenge, and you will come to financial challenges, how do you approach that? This is how I approach it. Father, I have honored you with my finances since my childhood days. I'm 54 years old. I have tithed to the Lord. I have sown. I have given to God. I have served here. I serve here. I pull weeds at the church. I plant flowers at the church. Pastor, why do you do that? Because I'm a believer like you too. I get great joy when this place looks beautiful, because this is the Lord's place where we worship Him. I invest, I sow, I honor. I'm not sitting back when lean times come going, oh my gosh, I wonder if He's going to care for me. I know He's going to care for me. I have honored Him 54 years of my life in that area. That is a, that is a track record of righteousness. I don't fear what comes in that way. I'm going to trust Him. Do you have that kind of confidence? are you just playing church? Righteousness matters. Living right matters. It gives you confidence with God. If any of you have to come in front of your parents when you know you've lied or cheated or or stole and you know your heart's not right and you're trying to come, no, you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to go face. Well, that's the way some Christians are in church on Sunday. You're just hoping a lightning bolt doesn't blow the roof right off and kill you dead. But see, when you're pursuing the Lord, there's a sense of boldness. You get your prophetic voice back. Confidence back. Conviction strength comes back. Let me end with this. That's my alarm clock going off over there. I hear it. Ah, get us out of here now. That was my interpretation. I mean, you know, for 120 years, Noah... Built an ark and was made fun of every single day. But the Bible says Noah reverenced God. And when the floods came and the rain started falling, because Noah wasn't concerned with being cool and culturally relevant, he became the most relevant person on the planet when the first raindrop fell. All of a sudden everybody went, uh oh, <laughs> maybe that boat means something and maybe we should go become good friends with Noah. 120 years building a boat when nobody even knew what rain was or water was. I mean, you know, sometimes you're building a life of righteousness for a moment in time when you didn't realize, but all that you did and the way that you lived was for the very moment when you step in to salvation and the blessing of God. Your righteous life matters, and my righteous life matters. You know, this is a true story. When the atomic bomb was dropped on Hiroshima, Every single home within the distance of one mile from ground zero vaporized, except one home. Eight blocks away from ground zero, one house stood virtually untouched. Scientists were amazed. They couldn't figure this out. They were looking for natural explanations. They couldn't, they couldn't find one. Why did this one house survive? The reason they couldn't find the answer is because they were looking for physical reasons when there was actually a spiritual reason behind why one house, eight blocks away from Ground Zero, was preserved, it was the only house in that whole area that was occupied by believers. They were Christian people, and when the judgment of Hiroshima hit that nation, God spared those people 's lives. I was reading about the founding of this nation when on the frontiers, there was outbreaks of certain Indian tribes that were moving along the settlers on the outskirts of town and just slaughtering entire cities of people. And just parenthetically, we all, we all realize, again, there was so much mixture in the founding of our nation. There, were, there was good and there was bad. There was righteousness and unrighteousness. There were godly people really trying to reach people for Christ and bless people. And there were wicked, sinful people that were greedy and, and did terrible harm. We all get that. But here's the thing that we fail to understand. Whenever these outbreaks were happening, the people would gather together. They'd seek the Lord, and they'd say, Lord, why all the violence and bloodshed? Lord, show us where we've gone wrong. Well, this is the power of a righteous life. One of the chiefs was going after a a certain town, and they were going to kill everybody in the city. And then something shifted. It was the city of Concord, and there was a man named Edward Bulky who lived in that city, and he was the pastor of that church. And this was in one of the Indian chronicles, this, this entry. It was like an Indian journal, journal entry. They said that the reason that they attacked one town and not that town, the town where that minister was, was because he was close with the great spirit. It says the, uh, the Indian uh, chronicle says this, We will not prosper if we burn Concord. The great spirit loves those people. He tells us not to go there. They have a great man there. And he prays. How many of you would have been grateful that you went to that church? And you were at the prayer meeting. When even hell itself knows the presence of righteous people and says, don't go there because we're in trouble. I just believe every one of us have been called as righteous people do know the Lord, not again, not on our own ability or strength, it's his. But guess what? We're part of the solution to what's going on in our country. We're part of the salt and the light. I want people to know that, you know what, if you're with me and you're in my ship, um, I'm with him and we're going to be okay. I mean, you know, when the boat was sinking, when Paul was on the boat, he said, don't fear. We're going to make it. In fact, if you listen to me, not a one of you will lose your life. Remember that story in the book of Acts? Paul said, the boat's sinking. He didn't lie to them. The boat's going to sink. But here's what he said. You're all going to make it. Thus saith the Lord, you're all going to make it. I'm just telling you this. The boat's sinking, but you're all going to make it. If you'll walk in righteousness, if you'll pursue God, if you'll go against the current, if you'll stand and be a righteous man or woman in your generation, we're in for some of our best and greatest days ahead. I believe we'll see the glory of the Lord. I believe God's setting up some Goshen's where his presence will be on his people and, and we will have more than enough. We'll see his provision in a myriad of ways. I mean, you know, in the, with the children of Israel, they, they're leaving under God's judgment right on Egypt. They're leaving. That's kind of uncomfortable walking out in the desert. But God said that their shoes didn't even wear out. I mean, I, you know, God has a way of, of stretching things. God stretches food. God stretches appliances. God stretches automobiles. God stretches clothing. God makes stuff out of nothing. And God makes stuff that you have keep staying together for long periods of time. God is a multiplier. I'm not, this message is not about being worried. This message is who'll stand up and be a prophetic voice in our culture and call people back to God. That's, sign up in the welcome center if you're up for that ministry, alright? Count me in. Right next to the bus sign up and dancing. By the way, that buffalo dance thing was bad. I got this picture of a buffalo with a tutu on. We should have said Buffalo, New York dance team or something like that. Because I got that in my mind. I was just picturing buffaloes going through the sanctuary. I'm not supporting that at all. I'm not backing that ministry. No buffalo dancers in this place, all right? But we'll, we'll turn you into a dancer for the King Jesus. All right, stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Hey, if you're happy Jesus is on the throne and you're with him, just give him a round of applause right now. Yes! Hallelujah. Lord, we're glad to be your people. We're glad that you provided an ark of escape, and his name is Jesus. And we're glad that we're hidden in Christ and that we don't have to fear a thing. So, Lord, Thank you for your fatherly care of your own. We ask you, Lord, to continue to woo a planet back to you through us. God, may you burden us with your heart. May you fill our mouths with your words. And God, may you anoint us to be living at such a time as this in the United States of America. God, have mercy. Thanks for your kindness and your long-suffering, your patience, Lord. It stuns us. But God, we also know that the signs of, of judgment in this country are ripe. So, Lord, forgive us of our many, many sins. Use us to even speak life to people today as we leave this place. And I just say this in closing. If you don't know Christ and you're here, you've, you've heard a, an amazing message from the Word of God on your life and on your destiny, don't leave here today by rejecting the goodness of God. Come on up front. We'll have people up here that just want to pray with you, get to know you. We want to stand with you. We love you. We're for you, and we want to help you. So if you don't know Jesus, make sure you come on up. If you're a guest here today, we'd love to meet you. Just swing up front, shake our hand, introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you personally. I know the rest of our staff would as well. Father, bless these folks as we head out the doors. Use us for your glory. And God, don't forget, if we got folks that need marital help, Four o'clock marriage class. We can't forget that. Bless us, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We love you. Have a great day.